Hi there and welcome to the Money Minutes for yet another episode. I, the interesting one I want to talk to you today is about what the government has currently done in regards to class actions. Now, on the face of it, it's another big band-aid for directors, companies and also the management. Uh, it effectively says, well, you know, you normally have an obligation if you're a publicly listed company to continuously disclose any information that is material to those shareholders. Now, as we know, over the years, there have been an increasing number of uh, uh, class actions that have come as a result of companies and directors not fulfilling those continuous disclosure obligations. In other words, if you don't tell the, the, the shareholders in a timely manner as to something that's taking place that you knew about as a director, you are personally liable. And hence, many companies have found themselves with payouts of tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to shareholders who could well have been disadvantaged by this. Now, the one thing about where the government goes to is that they're really worried right now with COVID-19, meaning that so many business conditions have been so dramatically affected and so quickly that plenty of managements maybe have got some feeling that their business is not as good as it should be. But the question is, are they really that confident to be able to go and tell the market about that? Now, the fact of the matter is that they should, and that's the reason why you've seen a number of profit warnings already come out from company directors who are concerned about um, the, the, the level of earnings that they're getting through their businesses during this coronavirus period. And look, you know, you've only got to say, for example, look at some of the businesses that have already effectively collapsed as a result of one target. Um, the second one is Virgin Australia. Big companies, right? But they're not the end of it, not by any stretch of the imagination. And as we kept on saying to you, the one band-aid that the government had already put over the economy was that date of September 25 this year. Remember, that is the date at which companies and directors can continue to trade insolvent until. In other words, you can be broke, whereas normally a company can't trade one day insolvent. Or indeed, people can take action if they're owed money by a company. Now, in this particular case, the Treasurer has put in something that says unless a company has acted recklessly or negligently by not informing the market about price-sensitive information, go for your life. Then you've got to go back to the other side of this, and that is that class action lawyers technically would have been lining up to take pot shots at Australian companies and directors who had not fulfilled these obligations. The second part about this that's been commented on today is that the price of insurance premiums for directors' liability insurance has gone through the roof. Let's go back in history now, as I sometimes do, just to try and give you a bit of a sense of to where class actions have come from in Australia. Bear in mind that the legislation started in 1992. Now, the very first big class action that came out was actually GIO, the insurance company. Now, what had happened in 1998 um, GIO effectively was the subject of a takeover, a hostile takeover by AMP. Now, what they did was that they rejected that takeover offer at $5.35 a share. But six months later, the company announced losses of $2 billion and the shareholders only got $2.75 a share. As a result of that, a class action was lodged. And so then eventually the class action was settled for some $97 million in the federal court in 2003. And so as a result, 22,000 shareholders or so, most of them small investors, got some compensation once, of course, the class action lawyers actually got their slice of it. 
Now, if you go to the real veterans of class actions in Australia, you know, one is Slater and Gordon, quite clearly. Uh, the other one was uh, Morris Blackburn. Now, Morris Blackburn was headed eventually by Bernard Murphy, now Justice Murphy of the federal court himself. Now, Bernard Murphy was something of a legend in class actions in Australia. He was a senior partner of Slater and Gordon that launched the very first class actions in Australia. Now, in many cases, they were funded by IMF. Now, IMF was a company that was headed by a guy called John Walker, himself a bit of a legend in litigation funding in this country. What happened was that eventually he went and became the chair of Morris Blackburn and again specialised in class action litigations, effectively about the director's duties and corporate conduct. Now, it's interesting to note now that, of course, some of these powers are seen to be clipped by the federal government, effectively because they're concerned about the large number. Now go back in history and have a look at some of the, the big class actions in Australia. The biggest of all, probably, was of the Victorian 2009 bushfires. 119 people died there. As a result, the utility company SP Osnet and Utility Services Group found responsible for a faulty electricity cable that caused that start of the fire. $500 million was paid out to those affected. The banks in Australia now um, are up to many class actions. In fact, there's been a series of legal companies lining up class actions against them. The other big one, 2012, Sigma Pharmaceuticals accused of engaging in deceptive conduct by 600 shareholders. They won, in that case, $57.5 million. So, you know, there's been some incredible you know, backgrounds at this. One of the interesting sides, and just as an aside to this, is the real reason it's all about tort law. This is group law, if you like, where people can take action as a group. Now, the one part about that is it all goes back to claims for asbestosis uh, back in the United States and eventually came here. And even here in Australia, with some of the claims that were made for those victims of asbestos-related disease against some of the big companies, James Hardy being one of them, um, and are now kind of also part of the legend of class actions. So for Australia right now to downgrade the ability for class actions to be taken for some six months, on top of the band-aid that has been placed over the Australian economy by having companies being allowed to trade insolvent. Now, these things are not unrelated. Effectively, what this means is that the government is trying to give directors the ability to trade through very uncertain times with the hope that they will emerge at the other end. The problem is, and I did note the Treasury Secretary only in the past week really singing the praises of the Australian economy, it will be all good, it was almost like as though the roses were out in bloom and the sun was shining again and everything's going to get to the other side. But as I've said, I'm just really worried that the bridge does not go too far. It is actually something that will pull up short. Many companies invariably in Australia will go broke. In fact, it's the Prime Minister in some ways who's given the best commentary, perhaps the more straightforward commentary about this. Not trying to be, you know, at all, um, you know, sort of, if you like, feel good about the whole thing. He said there are tough times ahead. There's no doubt. There are more companies that will go broke. There, are, there is more unemployment to come. What really worries me is with these actions by the government, allowing companies to trade insolvent, really, if you like, um, inoculating companies from the threat 
of class actions if they don't inform in a timely manner. I just wonder whether this is going to do any good long term. It really seems to me that, um, you know, you sit there and see it right now. Of course, you've got the business groups all applauding this, saying it's a great thing because it takes away, if you like, the threat that they might have. And I, I kind of get that. But what really worries me about this is that the Band-Aids are temporary and they're going to come off. And as I say, while state borders are closed, while international borders are closed, while retail is con- all, already um, dire before we even got the coronavirus, while landlords are not going to be receiving rents, you've just got this situation where you know there's a problem coming. And it seems as though the government is trying to tell us it's all right, everything's going to be okay. Now, sure, they've got an extra $60 billion in their pocket that they didn't have. I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't money they had. It was money they were going to borrow anyway. That's probably a good thing. But really, does it really matter whether you're spending $130 or $70 billion? Yes, it does. But you know what I mean? It's just still big numbers. and It's still big debt that future generations are going to have to repay. And until you reset the economy and until you have people coming out buying assets cheaply, in other words, you can't effectively, you know, make everybody immune from going broke. In any economic downturn, companies and people do go broke. It's sad. It's a human tragedy in many cases. It's not something you would like or want, but it happens. But the truth is that when people buy those assets cheaply, when people pick up properties cheaply, that is the creation for the future wealth. And that's the reason why I wonder about these strategies effectively making companies immune from going broke for six months when you don't know whether six months is enough and you really don't know the impact of what could take place if they were allowed to go broke and for others to pick them up, recapitalize them and grow them into the future. What was it that uh, Warren Buffett once said? You don't know who's been swimming naked until the tide goes out. Problem is at the moment, The government seems to have filled up that bathtub again. Talk to you soon.